Welcome back to the Pro Shots Podcast, where today we talk about trout, turkey, trendy rounds, and what it takes to really clean your gun. We look forward to the conversation. We look forward to having you here. Let's begin. All right. Welcome back to the Pro Shots Podcast. Technically, this is the second podcast, but it's going to be the first real podcast where I actually talk about things ongoing at the range things going on outside the range maybe some gun news uh and maybe fight a little bit about calibers yeah that's gonna be uh, we're kind of still figuring it out but we might do some like weekly i guess kind of weekly themes that we talk about we're trying to be a grazenized i don't know what that means it means organized but you're not really oh there you go <laughs> it a works gra- out good a grazenized right what language uh made up excellent <laughs> it was a meme i saw one day and okay. i was like oh i like that so because that totally describes my life you totally. could tell me you could tell me it was french and i'd be like okay cool yeah <laughs> totally with it. totally aggregazenized however you want to say it you uh, just make it up as you go along i understand now <laughs> they're in order but no particular order gotcha. right yeah <laughs> so so that like like weekly segments where we talk about the varying calibers and why you would switch from the good old standby to uh, the new hot the, yeah. caliber that came out that month or whatever. The new hotness. Yeah. Because it's all about the new hotness. So that would be Caliber Wars. Uh, we might talk a little bit about that. What about outdoor news? What's coming up out of doors well, soon? Well, March is when I typically like to go fly fishing for the first time of the year. Um, so probably... trout get bitey? North Carolina when they start stocking them. <laughs> Uh, because they're they're around, and in the like late fall they're spawning. So there are actual like you could guess technically call them wild trout that were stocked born of stack, uh, yeah, born of stocked fish. Um, they don't bite obviously for like another year because they're just too small, or they'll just be eaten by the fish that they stock next year. It's kind of just like whenever they stock them, they're fish around again, and you can start catching them, but. Right now is a good time to catch, like, the wild browns and stuff you don't typically see. Or technically not wild. But So here's a quiz. Do you know off the top of your head what the replacement cost for a trout is? And I'm asking because I don't know. Like uh, to stock last year's? Well, if you get caught illegally catching, fishing out of season. Oh, Lord, I have no idea. They're going to charge you. Like for a turkey, it's something like $1,500. You shoot a turkey out of season, shoot the wrong bird. They can charge you a fine. They're going to fine you for shooting that bird and then, you know, take your shotgun, your truck, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm sure it's very similar to that, if not exactly that. And it's per fish. Oh, yeah. No, if you have a creel of eight fish, you're going to get it per fish. So when I went to school up in Mars Hill, up in Madison County, North Carolina, near Buncombe County, near Asheville, uh, these guys got caught. They were stocking the stream, so that they're dumping them out of the truck or yeah. whatever. There were guys behind them with... Dip nets? Just not, waiting? No, they covered the whole stream. They were catching uh-huh. every single fish. They yeah, dumped out of that truck. It. Replacement call. And they're doing whatever it is. Thousands of fish. Um, hundreds it's, of fish. It's kind of a weird observation that I have. Um, and it's kind of... I don't think it's funny, but it's it's ironic. But at the same time, I've come to expect at this point, every time I go to a stream, like the day after they stocked it, it's either loaded with tons and tons and tons of fishermen, or each hole you go to has got remnants of a can of corn 
or a bunch of night crawlers, and you can tell somebody sat there last night with a dip net and just scooped them out. And if you don't know, in in those wild streams, it's single barbless hook, no bait. Sing, single barbless hooked, no bait, uh, artificial lure only for trout. So guys are just, or people are just breaking the law. Yeah, it's it's pretty blatant. And no, I I don't go to like the nicest parts of the stream that are patrolled all the time. But like I'll go up to Ararat and you you'll hit the, like the high point where you get off the trail and it's right there and that's where everybody fishes and you can tell somebody stood there last night with a dip net for about 20 minutes and just scooped them out and so that stuff goes on but i would i would assume that it's pretty costly if they ever got caught oh yeah uh, i had a teacher who actually got me into fly fishing and uh, he was big into he'd go fishing for the day and then would look at all of the little limbs hanging down across the stream that you know were just full and loaded with flies and lures and stuff. And so he'd wade across the stream after he was done fishing that hole, you know, and scared them all out or whatever, or caught whatever he wanted to catch out of it, and then break the limb off or pull it down to where he could get to it. And he'd pull, you know, 15, 20 flies or whatever. And so one day he pulled like a couple treble hooks out and was like, well, you're not supposed to use those, but I'm going to put them in my pack because they're good treble hooks. And he got carted by the game warden that day. And uh, he's like, look, I haven't been hit fishing with this. I can't throw that on my rod that I have right now. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I just pull these out of trees. And he was like, well, technically I have to write you a citation. But we'll meet at the courthouse and we'll both explain it to the judge and you probably won't have to do anything with it. But we're going to have still, to. But still. So, not lawful. Yeah, they're, they're really not lenient, which is a good thing in my opinion. Because I like to catch the fish that were supposed to be there. Well, you got people out there ruining all of their work. Yeah. And it, it's not like it's, you can just replace that. You've got to hatch that fish, raise it, get it well, to a size like, where you can release it. I don't understand why people do that. And I guess it's it could be monetary. But if you look at the folks that would do that, why, don't we, why wouldn't you just go pay $10 at a trout pond? Yeah. Okay. And just catch as many as you wanted that afternoon. Um, Even those guys I watch in Canada they're in all those you know uh tiny little lakes lots of them um what is it buffalo caribou wilderness uh-huh. right and some lakes have lake trout some lakes have walleye some lakes have pike. yeah they're very like segregated populations yeah and they'll go you know those guys they're very respectful they're mostly going to catch and release uh but if they're if they hadn't brought a lot of food with them they're going to keep a trout and eat it but the rest of them they're releasing them yeah. And I, I would think that most of your uh, most of your guys out there in, in our trout streams are catch and release guys. Yeah, the vast majority, especially fly fishermen, are catch and release only. Right. Um, when I go catfishing, yeah, I'm not keeping anything over ten pounds, but I'm going to keep some catfish because we're going to fry them up. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I I would like to in the future kind of do that primitive kind of catch cook thing yeah um just never had the need to kind of like fishing for a couple of days in one spot if i go out somewhere and so i like to catch that fish a couple of times rather than catch it once eat it and yeah. be done with it um or come back and catch it the next year yeah you know yeah. got some length to it yeah uh, it's one of those things what there's else an, is there's an argument for made towards either side of that so uh, i'm pretty fluid with you know i'll, I'll keep what i'm gonna eat but i'm yeah, not gonna absolutely i'm not gonna keep more than i can eat Definitely not going to follow the game warden with a net and catch all of them. 
Yeah, that just doesn't seem like a good recipe. <laughs> just stupid, those guys. Whatever. Uh, also, have to mention, because it's coming up, turkey season. Yeah, I've seen lots and lots of light uh, turkey load advertisements on the YouTube recently. I was like, yes. oh yeah, it's turkey season. Turkey season. We have TSS for sale. Yeah, we do. Tungsten. Heavy. The good stuff. You can take the long shots. 12 and 20 gauge. Um, this is not an advertisement for that. Um, that stuff is expensive. Oh, yeah. it's. Imagine, well, we were talking about fishing just now. Imagine lead weights versus tungsten weights. Tungsten weights are twice or three times lead weights. Mm-hmm. You can imagine what tungsten shot is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely kind of scalable that way, I guess. But it's worth it if you're getting uh, that bird of a lifetime at 60 yards and you can't get them to come any closer. Well, I've done that with the uh, Winchester, that long-beard well, yeah. XR. You can do it with anything, but maybe that one pellet. just That Remington, you know, the Nitro 3-incher. That gets the job done. Has for years. But, uh, and when we hunt pheasant we in South Dakota, sometimes we have to use that steel shot because you go into those public game lands where there's water. There's also waterfowl. You have to use the, the appropriate shot. I, I like heavy shot. That was a good... Um, shot, but Did you hear uh, Ranella's coming out with a bismuth shot. Oh, nice! Federal's making it for them. They're coming out with uh, it's a totally non-toxic, heavy as lead. Um, that and works. they're producing it's relatively affordable. And it, he's saying it's for those like duck hunts where you d- can't get the ducks coming in. You, know, you buy a box of that in reserve, and then okay, they're not coming in close enough for steel. We'll throw these bismuth shells at them, and apparently they work pretty good. He's been hitting them up pretty good about it. My advice for turkey season, my best piece of advice for turkey season would be permethrin because it's also tick season. Yeah. And two years ago, the guy that I turkey hunt with got bit by a lone lone star tick and can no longer eat red meat, any mammalian meat, what's anything on four legs. It's like my biggest fear in life. That's one of the reasons I really don't go turkey hunting. I remember calling him up and, you know, said, what, what's going on? You know, he said, well, I got bit by this tick and, uh, that's that I can't eat deer anymore. I said, well, just shoot me now. He said, I know. And you know, well, maybe a year ago we're on year two there. They put him on antibiotics and and maybe in two years he can, but it's it's almost like a, uh, a degrading. Maybe, maybe if they catch it fast enough with the antibiotics, that's my understanding. Um, but it could be he just can't eat red meat ever yeah, again. Yeah, it's just terrible. That's horrible. I like chicken, but not that. Especially not when he raised two kids and his entire family hunting his entire life. Most of their red meat comes out of the woods behind his house. Yeah. So that is a nightmare. I mean, he could go for, like, hogs maybe. That's kind of nope. – No, really? Still, yeah. Mammalian on, meat? Mammalian meat. Anything mm. on four le- – you think the other white meat, right? Yeah. Pork. Nope. And they went out to a restaurant, and he they cooked um, his food on the same grill they were cooking. And he still had a problem? And he still had to stop oh, on the way that's home. Like, that's like on the celiac disease and gluten, man. Yeah. I know a couple people who, they have like a gluten testing device they stick into their food to see if it's come in contact. If it's a certain part of they can't eat it. Oh, uh, yeah. He told them beforehand, yeah, yeah, we're, we'll cook it on the same flat top. He got sick. Yeah. Not... He didn't die, so that's good, but he's yeah. he didn't get to enjoy that meal completely. <laughs> Let's Never just put it that way. Um, I don't know. What's going on at the range? 
What's up at the range? Uh, we've got our second little batch of yes. Um, Shout out to Ben's dad. Well, I'll drop Just everything. Spill that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's gonna sound real good on the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, we made these little guards for the pulley assembly at the rear of the range that gets shot up all the time. Um, no fault to anybody other than they're just down there and in the way of the bullets. But uh, didn't have really any solutions, so I kind of thought about it and figured a little way that we might be able to use some parts that we had, which is a deflector shield off of the um, front of the target carrier. And we had these little mounts down there to stop the target carrier. Why don't we just weld that to it? And uh, Dad agreed to just go ahead and do it and test them out a little bit. And now we've got six. I need to install those, but we almost have a full range of those. So a little awesome. upgrade that's going to keep things running a little smoother, maybe. It'll and Keep uh, the lanes more operational. So Keep things from breaking as often, because there's like millions of pounds of lead. Oh, yeah. I mean, a, a bullet-riddled environment is not conducive to many yeah. things. Imagine just buckshot all day for hours. Well, we go shoot clays, and you mm-hmm. look at those trees. Trees I mean, are just no bark done yeah same thing downrange so um it's getting to be a nice time of year so uh still still doing pretty good with new purchasers in the store i would say yeah we have a lot of first timers still um i would say we have a lot of second timers that were first timers last year or six months ago yeah a lot of people that i didn't see a year ago are now 30 guns in not not maybe 30 but a I know lot. at least one one example of somebody I never saw a year ago who never shot a gun until a year ago who now owns 33 guns. We are talking about it yesterday. Got the hook. Got hooked. And so I think there's a lot of people like that. Um, you know, just new to the firearms industry and kind of what's going on. And I uh, welcome them with open arms, I think. Yeah, tie that to the video that Jared and I put out on YouTube. Buying the gun is a good thing. Having training is the right thing. So Yeah. Don't don't just buy a gun and assume proficiency. You you, you got to train. I like to tell folks, it's kind of like buying a motorcycle, having never seen one. Yeah. Imagine buying a motorcycle and just driving off a lot without any instruction. Um. Now, some may get it, some may not. But it's well, I never got that bought a motorcycle and had to have someone else ride it home for him. Yeah, I mean stuff like that. <laughs> so training kind of pays for itself, I would think, just without. Well, like like I said in that video, and just to repeat it on the podcast, you know, you you buy a gun for safety, but you made things less safe because you don't know how to use the gun safely. Right. And that's not good. So get training. Yeah. I'm not going to steal granddaddy's saying, but <laughs> what caliber are we going to fight about? Are we doing that? Yeah. Okay. Why not? Let's try it. Uh, it might be better. It might be worse next time. I really want to just hop all over the 30 Super Carry. The um, 30 Super Carry. Have you heard of that yet? No. So Smith & Wesson. I think it's Smith & Wesson. They come out with that new uh, like uh, 938 competitor. I can't remember what. The CSX, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Single action, aluminum framed, single stack 9mm. Kind of like a little baby 1911. And... Um, with that gun, they released the 30 Super Carry, which is a 30 caliber. Imagine a 38 Super, so like an elongated. I was just getting ready to ask. An How's elongated that? 30 caliber cartridge or casing that you know has a relatively light 
projectile, so like a 90 to 120 or something like that. And their thought process behind that is that you can fit more of those in a magazine that is smaller. Is which it is rimless or rimmed? It's rimmed. So it's a, no, excuse me, rimless. It's a automatic cartridge. Um, well then, why not just buy a 38? They reinvented the 38 Super. Yeah, sort of, kind of, and branded it Super Carry. Um, well, there are already 38 Super guns out there, so I'm going to automatically take the opposite side of yeah. this. Oh, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, oh, believe me, I. Oh, yeah. then I love it. No, <laughs> no, you don't. Nobody does. I don't know why. Maybe somebody does. Are they just making new calibers so that? So I think they're trying them? to kind of branch off into that trend, like we saw with 365, and now the. Shield Plus and the Hellcat and all these really small, compact guns that have you know ten or more rounds, and nine mil just wasn't getting them where they wanted to be, so they're innovating a narrower cartridge that still has lots of velocity in it. So you're making up the same ballistics that you would with like a nine mil, and the only way you do that is to elongate the cartridge and make it thinner but you can fit more in a mag the same size and that's what it's kind of for um or i could buy 43x and get a 15 round mag or you can just carry extra mags i mean or i could get the hellcat pro that holds 15 plus one yeah they just still keep coming out i don't see this replacing nine millimeter or 380 how long do you think this cartridge will be around about as long as the 6.5 grendel it's still around but it's going to be around forever but you're not going to find more than a box or one brand of ammo at a time uh yeah how many manufacturers are making ammo i don't it's it's just federal again it's a new wild they want it to be a standard carry cartridge which is why they named it justly um but i don't see them especially with current world events getting away from any nato cartridges (laughs) as far as popularity uh nine mil's been around for like 100 years yeah. 1908, I think. 45? Uh, 45 been around for... 38? 100 years. They're not going away. And the people who have those guns want more guns in it so that they don't have to buy new ammo every time. Yeah. How do you market this is the same but better? I guess you just tell them your gun holds more bullets, which is what it's doing. And ballistically, it's very good cartridge like 38 Super was. But again 38 super how often do you see that in a store compared to 45 or 9 mil oh yeah i mean we carry it but rarely i mean 38 super didn't withstand the test of time it's far rarer though right it came out to give that advantage in competition and that's kind of where it went yeah and it was a good cartridge but again it's it slowly loses popularity when people can't get magazines for it because it's a different size uh yeah uh, Magazine. They're they're going to just be very different, and when you can find the nine mil, the NATO stuff that's been around forever and will continue to be around, uh, I think the appeal will be there for some, and then it will slowly lose appeal. Like, um, just an intro to like the Caliber Wars theme. When we were thinking this kind of segment up, if you're familiar with Buffalo, Buffalo Hunters, forty five seventy kind of came out in that time frame. Yeah, it was really a cavalry cartridge to because it would put a horse down and. Again, that's effective against cavalry. Well, the Buffalo Hunters came out of the cavalry and decided they were shooting buffalo with the same gun they had. A lot of those guys bought their old carbines. Said, wow, this is a good, good buffalo cartridge. I love this thing. And then somebody got creative and said, oh, well, we'll make a 4590. We'll make a 45110. All you have to do is elongate the chamber, and you got this more powerful, longer-range cartridge. 
and those cartridges aren't here today. They still make a shallow sharps in 4590 and 45110 and 45.7. But when's the last time you saw 4590 or 110 in a store? Never. Never. Why? Because commercially, the 4570s where the market already was with all these buffalo hunters that had their old carbines from when they were in cavalry days. And because of that, they were unwilling to say, you know, I'll buy this newer cartridge that I can't get everywhere. And, you know, 100 years from now, look where we're at. We don't even see them in the stores. You might hear about them or say, yeah, that's a really cool cartridge, but you have to have somebody specially make them for you or make them yourself. Why does everyone want a 45-110? It just sounds cool. Quickly down under. I don't know if it's – but he wasn't even shooting a 45-110. He was shooting some – fancy paper patched deal it was it was a i believe it was a 45 110 maybe he said it was a 458 something now i'm gonna have to go watch that movie it again. was it was a wild like it was a bored out cartridge it was bigger than 45 oh my word it was paper patched anyway so stay away from or go up, run out and buy the hot new thing i mean i think there's some merits to it but i'm not going to buy it i'm not gonna buy it i got a glock 19 yeah Glock 17 mags fit that. Yeah. I don't have to run out and buy a bunch of $45 magazines for my hot new cartridge. Yeah, and if it's a SIG, it's $50 magazines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, again, it's it's probably going to be around for a while. You'll probably see it. And it's an awesome cartridge. If it's something you need, buy it and go with it. I um, mean, if someone lets me shoot one, I'll shoot it. But absolutely. But I'm not going to go buy one. So. Yeah. All right. Well... You cleaned a lot of guns today. I did, man. I cleaned, I don't know how many. A lot of guns. Six or seven, maybe. So my question would be, what common items did you use to clean all those guns? If I've, if I've just bought my first gun, I know I need to maintain it. Maybe someone's going to have to show me how to maintain it. But what do I need to maintain my gun? So I hear a lot of folks ask, like, uh, I need a cleaning kit for this gun, right? I tell them yes and no. You can totally go buy an 84-piece cleaning kit, right? And I have one, oh, yeah. or, one or two of them. And I use one piece out of that 84-piece cleaning kit once in a while to clean, like, the bore or hard-to-reach area or something it's specifically designed for. It's a specific function for a specific tool. And so having it's very convenient. When I clean guns, though, I use a combination of a good solvent, so like Hoppies, Ezox, CLP, something in that nature. Um, I like it to be kind of a CLP, so it's a clean lube and protect because some solvents, once you've baked them off, once they've evaporated, they don't do anything other than make your gun rust because they're dry. Um, so I kind of stay away from those, but I like the ones that kind of act as a lubricant, act as a preservative after the fact. Even if you wipe most of it away, there's it's still seeped in. I like that CLP. CLP's great. Is that what is that brand that we uh break free. Break free. And I like that stuff. CLP's like an acronym for just like that type of Cleans loops. Cleans loops and protects. I mean, I like Ezox. It's a CLP, yeah. but it seems to me it evaporates awfully quick. Yeah, it's uh it's more of a solvent than CLP is and CLP's more of an oil than than Ezox is. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like you gotta pick your poison. I don't use Ezox to lubricate though. I just like it for solvent. To cut. Cut and then cleaning and then it if i don't get it all out it's still doing its job and keeping it from rusting even though it's not lubricating as well 
uh, and then I use uh, I really got turned on to this Lucas oil stuff I really like that I've been using that on customers guns for probably six months now that same guy that got bit by the tick uh, years ago he had a red bottle of that Lucas oil oh it's been around for a while and uh he just has a sock that's mm-hmm. impregnated with that, like an oilcloth, and we, we'll go hunt turkeys. That's what he, yeah. Gun gets wet, you come back and uh, that stuff's wipe awesome. it down. Yeah. Good to go. Keeps the gun from rusting. Oh, let me just mention, pomethrin. I never finished that thought. Oh, yeah. Pomethrin. Turkey hunting season is also tick season. I got whole distracted by the whole, he can't eat red meat anymore. That destroyed my thought process. But uh, pomethrin is a product you can coat your clothes with. You spray it on there, you let it dry in there, and it will withstand, they say, up to six um, washings. washings. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it kills them as they walk across it. Yeah, and they just kind of fall off your clothes. So I'm hyper paranoid Spray now. your boots heavily. Spray I your spray pants them before heavily. I go out. Yeah. Because I'm wearing uh, it's not, uh, muck, bo- muck boots. It doesn't have any scent or anything. And uh-uh. I don't think turkeys are that doesn't matter what turkey. worried about it. But I mean, I use it during deer I'd use it all too. the time if yeah. I'm outdoors. Oh, yeah. We go down the lake. I'm I'm soaking that stuff down. I've heard of guys in the summer with like uh, hiking boots and socks, putting on their socks. Yeah. Um, and they got shorts or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but especially during uh, deer season, because it's still a little cold to get out there. Maybe you're wearing yeah long underwear or whatever, and you might not necessarily feel. Oh, and well, they're going to be attracted to your heat too. So yeah, I would just start wearing it. So I've used that for the past. I don't know three or four years either i've been lucky or the stuff works so yeah but i'm not taking any chances of not being able to eat red meat so yeah that's just like a deal breaker man and and, you know we don't sell it i'm just saying if you hadn't heard about it uh, a lot of guys i know that do like landscaping and clearing and stuff live by it they keep gallons of it around yeah it's better Um, deet it's not gonna kill you as quickly (laughs) as as bad yeah (laughs) um it'll kill the ticks though which is good yeah that's a good deet's kind of old news i guess with those but yeah um i guess back to cleaning no you're good yeah the uh the lucas stuff i really like any good lubricant again clp is pretty good for most things if you needed one bottle to do it all just break free clp will kind of get you done um it'll keep gun from rusting it'll clean it'll break down carbon as it's in there and you don't have to get it spotless if you put it in there and you have some carbon buildup it'll continue to kind of keep that carbon from building further and eat away what's there so um, are, you, are you saying clp is good enough as a lubricant to not have a lubricant military uses it okay as a lubricant i think i like a designated lube over a do-it-all and do you prefer an oil type lubricant i prefer grease and when uh, i say grease i don't mean actual grease right i mean firearms grease slide grease yeah i'm so a rig or pro gold yeah I go back and forth. Depends on the action, what gun I'm working on. Also, what the gun's being used for. But generally, I prefer a synthetic oil that's a little bit thicker than most. That's why the Lucas is so good. Yeah, the Lucas just, it kind of hits all the boxes for me. Um, But if it's like a grand action or something that was specifically designed, or so they say, to use a grease, um, which if you have a grand or a grand action luber plate, which is an engine assembly grease, is I think what that action was designed to be. Huh. put back together because the tank battalions would have buckets of it and so if you needed some you should go over your tank guys hey got some grease yeah here you go and uh, so that was cool but that's kind of what they were for but other than that I'm a big synthetic oil guy and you can use like synthetic motor oil um, it'll totally work 
I mean, in a pinch. Uh, I've seen guys. Uh, the the uh, this is how I got onto the Lucas stuff is uh, doing some research and whatnot. The owner of Dead Air Silencers has used the same bottle of SAE 10W30 valvoline for like 20 years. Oh wow! And he says that's all I use. He says I, he was a car mechanic for like uh, 10, 15 years before he started making silencers, and uh, kind of treat it like a big muffler. And so he said, yeah, it's the best thing to break down carbon and keep it from. So if you're shooting suppressed a lot, I would use a synthetic. Like, So he's cleaning his suppressor with... No, just, just... he just puts it on guns. And oh, okay. he says that it keeps the guns from being as carbon fouled from suppressors. Oh, from the back pressure. Because if you think about an engine, what do you not want the engine to collect? Yeah. Carbon. Carbon. More than likely going to collect more carbon than Well, that means Berryman's should work in my... Absolutely. <laughs> You do you, but don't don't do that. Please don't. Um, <laughs> but like you can get by with four or five little things for cleaning the gun. An old toothbrush, uh, or you know, you can buy a, a firearm specific brush set. It's like a I like a bronze or uh, a copper brush. Some solvents will eat, eat away at them, but you can replace those relatively cheaply. And the the nylon ones I think are pretty much useless. I use them for getting the oil where it needs to go. Okay, pushing it around. Yeah, moving it around. Um, but just a brush, something that you can kind of not hurt your gun and scrape on it with. Um, you need either a, an old T-shirt cut up, an oil cloth, something you can wipe the dirt away. Uh, you can chemically remove it with like a, a spray solvent. But I like just kind of getting there and wiping it away, and it leaves some behind. And, again, you don't need your gun to be spotless unless you want it to be, but for function it will totally work so long as it's not building material like lead or carbon in critical dimensional places. Huh. Um, and then I use for customer guns, especially the older ones that deserve like a really deep cleaning that hasn't been cleaned since they were put together in 1904, I get like dental picks out and get in the corners. and just, Make friends with your dentist. Yeah. If you can find a guy who's getting rid of some old dental picks, scoop those up. Oh, yeah. Because they and will they last you forever. Forever. Um, I've gone through a couple of them, but I usually break them just doing something they're not Y'all supposed are to be rough. done. Yeah, a little bit. What about the barrel? Um, man, I go back and forth a lot about cleaning barrels. On my guns, I do not clean my barrel unless I notice um, deteriorating accuracy. Are you talking about rifles or pistols? All or of both. Them. Okay. Uh, shotguns, I clean the barrels out of because I want that pattern to have a smooth runway. Um, so I try to get those pretty spotless, but. Because they just build up lead and carbon so much. Now, faster. are you saying you believe in copper equilibrium? And oh, everything? yeah. Okay. Big time. Um, for sure, with the rifle. I didn't know if you applied that to pistols as I well. I do. But you, um, you start shooting long distance. Yeah. You notice a difference. Yeah, for sure. So, boar snake? Like a, uh, honestly, like a nylon brush is all I really use for barrels in my guns. Now, in a customer's guns, they're, they're like, yeah, I want the barrel scrubbed. We'll get solvents out. We'll get copper brushes. We'll go through that thing with uh, jags and patches and all that. A, a good wet patch just to kind of get the carbon off and then to, to inspect the rifling is all I really care about. I want to see if I can see problems. Like if you're if you're flaking carbon or copper off, yeah, you need to scrub that barrel a little bit. But And even with the carbon equilibrium, at some point you start to notice a degradation in accuracy yeah, but it's like thousands of rounds later yeah um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and pretty well documented evidence to to support it i think it's totally a thing i do too 
Um, I don't clean my rifle barrels. But that just means we agree on a conspiracy. Oh, whatever. It's, it's all conspiracy, but it's fine. I I think it's a thing. What about shooting in your barrel? You think that's a thing? No, totally not. Okay. Why would you wear your barrel out to make it shoot better? Well, just the clean. You know, shoot one, clean it five oh, times. No, I I had a whole class on this uh, accurizing rifles, and yeah. uh, when we were in that class, I just kind of shook my head all the way through the first book, and uh, because it was all about you know, oh, we got to shoot this, and there's a there's a certain set way you should shoot your gun into accuracy. I'm like, okay, yeah. So you're mo- you're knocking off like the little factory machining marks when they broach your barrel. Or when they, you know, hammer your barrel around the mandrel. And that's partially why hammer forged barrels are a little better because there's less, they're not cutting, and so there's less machining marks because there is no machining. If that think makes it, sense. Think of it as less tearing of the metal, right? Yeah. So yeah. If they're button rifling it, yeah. they're scraping metal out of the barrel. Scraping metal out. And so when that happens, microscopically and even to the naked eye, you can see like little ridges appear. It's kind of like if you were to spread butter on a piece of toast, you see where your knife was. You see yep. those ridges appear. Same thing happens with a tool unless it's so sharp, and by the time you start to the time you end it, it's dull. So they have to resharpen, or you know, it, it's, it's dulled along the way. And you're also pulling material with it, and that can be getting underneath the cutter. And so you're going to have these little tiny imperfections. What I prefer is to fill those imperfections up with copper and make a nice smooth runway right. um, versus kind of trying to get rid of those imperfections now you have an oversized bore that's only going to shoot one type of ammo really nicely and i've never used them but they make certain bullets that are abrasive oh yeah no they make uh abrading bullets and they're like different grits and you start with this when you start polishing down and it's like okay so you could do that and get your barrel to the sweet spot where it's just about to be shot out yeah and shoot it for you know thousand rounds two thousand whatever however many rounds it takes depending on the cartridge or you could just shoot your gun and as you get better it gets better with you and most guns are better than the people shooting them and most guns are better than the human shooting them because we're just we can't hold ourselves still enough we have a heartbeat and blood pumps through our bodies and we have nerves that yeah one of keep my, us alive and one of my guys that i train on the regular he got that six six five six six millimeters. charles yeah yeah and uh we cranked that scope up now you know i had him i had him shooting at a card he shot he shot the business card in half so vertical was fine then i put it horizontally i was like mm-hmm. you know shoot that you could see him bouncing or he can see himself no, he bouncing. could see his heartbeat yeah in the scope that's, um, a, that's a tangent but it's it's a good descriptor though it, do you need it to be any more accurate than the gun already is in most cases no you're shooting 1800 yards and you need to do it eight times that weekend to win your match. Cool. Yeah. I think it's totally merited. You're going to replace your barrel after but a you're, thousand you're, shots But you're anyway. also replacing your barrel anyway. It's like your hobby. And so that's fine. You think they ever clean their barrels other <sighs> than to get carbon out? Man, I, I I think some guys fall along the the copper equilibrium conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And then some guys are like, no, if it's not you know perfect, clean steel, I'm not doing it. And I fine i get both i think you're getting, i think you're producing more drag on your bullet if it's perfect clean steel because you have to smear that copper and copper has a higher lubricity than so yeah but now i bought a whole set of tipton 
um, Jags from mm-hmm. 17 clear up to 50. I like Jags. So I like using Jags, single use on the patches, right? Yeah. And I still prefer that to a boar snake. I think the boar snake's merit comes from its ease of storing and like in the field. Yeah, plus if I'm hunting and I just yeah. want to swipe it out. Yeah. But the, the thing I've found with boar snakes is I tend to break them. And that's yeah. not good. Because it's when hard to get a boar around snake. your foot and just <laughs> give it the biscuits, you know, it yeah. it kind of kind of happens. Yeah. They are just a piece of And that's exactly nylon. how I break them. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they get, it's hard to pull them through there. So. But I've, I've got the professional cleaning kits from Otis and all these other stuff. I don't use them. I keep an Otis in my AR bag just because it's yeah. compact and easy to use. Yeah. So um, when we go pheasant hunting, that Otis kit has a 12-gauge adapter in it. If I needed to, I could just... The pull-through kind? Yeah. Aren't those fun? They are, but they work. They're, they work. Pull it through. But now I'm using a braided, the coated braided steel cable, not the dental floss uh, kind of... Yeah. Boar snake. No, Otis is, if you're going to have a pull-through kind of boar snake type of kit i highly recommend any of the otis products i think they're probably the best on the market for cleaning at the house i've got a bench rod so the rods are just so quick and that's what i use here because we're we're turning guns out as fast as we can um and if they get the same results and they're quicker i'll probably go the quicker route and get the correct caliber rod for the rifle you're clean because yeah that's important sometimes i got a 22 and i buy a 30 caliber rod it ain't going to fit down the barrel even worse if you buy a 17 caliber rod and you have a 4570 your rods flipping and bending all the way down yeah um especially if you've got uh, a very tightly fitting jag or something or you're pushing a patch through your rod can flex and that's just it's it's a good way to bend or break the tip of your rod and then you're then you're stuck with a situation you want to be in but yeah so basics got to have a solvent good solvent good oil um Maybe or lubricant. lubricant yeah i like again i like a solvent oil combo like Ezox or CLP, and then a standalone lube and kind of make your own decision on those. There's plenty we can talk to you about the store, and there's plenty other YouTubers and folks who know what they're talking about out there. Um, something that you can push that solvent and oil around in the gun. And, again, for solvent, I would push that around and then wipe it out after it's done its job, and then the oil you kind of put where you need it. Don't put it everywhere unless you need it everywhere. Some guns require a lot of oil. Uh, most don't, though. The solvent that's protecting will do its job, and the oil should do its job in its designated area. Um, so once you got those two things figured out, and you've got the way to get it into the gun and break down that carbon, um, you know, napkins, paper towels. We use like uh, Scott's blue towels or uh, the Toolbox brand white rags here at the shop, just because they lint less and they tear less. Um, you can totally do it with an old T-shirt socks whatever mm-hmm. um and then for your bore just having a decent bore rod or a bore snake for if you want to every time or if you don't want to every time but having the option in case you need to is nice yeah i would say a bore rod is probably more beneficial in case you get like a bore obstruction because yeah. then you can actually use it for two things um, but those are like the main little things that you need if you had a, a mat mm-hmm it might prevent parts from rolling off and they should all be on that mat but that's kind of an option yeah it's nice to have something that you're just not scuffing your kitchen table up with dirty parts yeah don't do this on the dining room table because yeah. solvent is solvent 
That doesn't smell good. I would probably go in a ventilated area. <laughs> well, that's why I like the CLP too, because yeah, it it's doesn't not smell as nearly harsh. as strong as it's like the Ezox or the Just hops. doesn't work as quickly. I'm okay with that as long as yeah. I don't have a headache when I'm done cleaning my gun. Yeah. So. But it's there's so many out there, and you know I've got a can of WD-40 over there. It's not for cleaning guns though. Um, please don't clean your guns with WD-40. But for when we can get in like little repair oh, yeah. stuff later on in the later podcasts and what materials and chemicals I use to break stuff free and keep stuff from breaking free. Um, but a lot of folks just, I'll just use WD-40. It's like, oh, I would avoid it for guns. That um, gets gummy, doesn't it? It gets gummy. It will varnish. Um, so by itself, it'll varnish. So it'll turn into like a, a crust without or not by itself and with other things that will kind of gum up. And then uh, it's also a little acidic. So sometimes it can eat the bluing and stuff off of it. But anyway, that's for another day. Cool. Well, hey, good podcast. Um, we look forward to the next one. This was a long one. It was, but it was a good one. So yeah. good good first official podcast. Absolutely. But we enjoy, we, we appreciate the fact that you're listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. We're not seeing you. Uh, having you hear us next time so everybody have a great week be safe have fun practice 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 see ya see ya